This week on the Drag Scene Podcast, Justin Keith from the Streetcar Takeover joins us to talk about how the series got started, his history racing, and a whole lot more. So, pull those belts tight, get ready to put into the beans. The Drag Scene Podcast starts now. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the show, Justin Keith joins us and he's the found, co-founder of the Streetcar Takeover. And he's been embedded in the, the racing scene for a while. And it's kind of cool to hear though the wild story, how all this started for him and you know what they're all about at the Streetcar Takeover. So without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right, my guest this week on the Dragzine Podcast is Justin Keith of the Streetcar Takeover. What's going on, Justin? Oh, not much, man. Just uh, getting ready for some uh, some events coming up here in the next couple weeks. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's gone from, oh my God, there can be no racing ever, to we're going to open up everything all at once. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like one of those deals that I've been saying. You know, once they open up a few things, the floodgates open after that. It's kind of hard to tell people to go back in their houses after you give them a little bit of... Uh, looseness you know yeah yeah it's crazy i went out to national trail raceway this past weekend to shoot some stuff for an article and it was like it was like the first day of summer camp i mean people were just like they were there you could legitimately see them having fun it had a totally different vibe but yeah once once people are out now i mean it's it's a different world now which is a good thing yeah yeah it is it's it's awesome we did at an event um last month in oklahoma city and uh, we had a record turnout for that event. And I mean, shoot, we've been doing that event since 2015. No, really 2014. And uh, yeah, it just, it was triple the size of normal, which was awesome to see. That's awesome. And, you know, we can get into more of that in a, in a second whatnot. And, you know, I kind of want to tell your story a little bit because, in, you know, our pre-call, we were talking about this and I'd never really, you know, heard anything about it. a lot of people don't necessarily realize that you just didn't magically one day go, Hey, I'm going to start this, you know, series out of nowhere. You, you've been around the car scene for a while, right? That even started with a, a YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I did a bunch of like little local, uh, meat stuff here in uh, Kansas city. That's where I've lived my whole life. And, uh, I did some YouTube videos and stuff back in shoot whenever YouTube was brand new. Um, I was like one of the first guys to start using GoPros on a car, like out on the street. I remember Kyle called me one day with 1320 video. I was like, Hey man, how are those uh, GoPros working on the cars? And I'm like, yeah, they're working. You know, they're, I don't know if they're made for it, but they're definitely holding up to, you know, 140 miles an hour. And so he started using them at TX2K just, I think the next weekend. And, uh, that was back in 2010 it just seems like it was yesterday, but it's been, you know, 10 years now. It's crazy how time flies. Yeah, I was kind of poking through the channel a little bit. and It's interesting to see the progression of, like, I hate, you know, just the video quality of what, you know, we used to do back in, in that time period up till yeah. now. And the production <laughs> quality, it's like, man, this is like a living time capsule. This is pretty gnarly. Yeah, it's it's cool going back and looking at all those old videos and shoot. I mean, even like the Street Fire days and oh god, that, uh, ls1tech.com and the in the video section of that forum back in the day. I mean, that was awesome. That's that's kind of how you know 1320 video got its start, filming videos of uh, Parrish's blue turbo Silverado, and that's how I met Kyle. He used to come down here. Kansas City he lives up in Omaha and uh, they would actually stay at a friend of mine's house here in Kansas City and uh, Kyle and Parrish and all them and then they would go out and street race with that truck because no one knew it down here and it was it was a lot of fun that's how I kind of met Kyle and all those guys so I've known them since probably 2004-2005 I would say Wow, that one you you made me feel old by mentioning Street Fire. That's like wow, <laughs> that's a blast from the past. That you know the younger kids aren't you know they don't understand how they lucky they have it with this YouTube stuff. Yeah, it's crazy to think back in like 2006, YouTube wasn't even a thing, and then now it's like you you can't imagine you know no YouTube. It's it's just weird how looking back, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but then it really does seem like a long time ago. So. Oh, it's crazy because you look at it now and it's like, I'm trying to learn how to do something. And of course we go to the internet, we go to Google, you don't go to encyclopedias mm-hmm. anymore, you know, no. rest their souls. And, you know, <laughs> it's amazing, you know, 
you know, the, Tom Cruise had the line on Days of Thunder. It's amazing what you can learn on their coverage. Talking about ESPN and sprint car oh, racing, yeah. it's amazing <laughs> what you can learn on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Anytime that uh, we're uh, doing something here at the shop, and you know, we're like, ah, how's this go? We first thing we do, we hop on YouTube and see if there's any how-to videos for it. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, shoot, if you'd have told me we were be we'd be doing that, you know, ten years ago, I'd be like, what? What are you talking about? That you get all that info on the forums, you know? So. Yeah, it's it's crazy that I've learned on YouTube how to do everything from basic home electrical projects to building an uh-huh. ar-15 to how to remove <laughs> the engine from my car it, yeah it, it's crazy yeah and freaking thank goodness there's those people out there that want to spend the time and do those how-to videos because they're tough i mean you got to have a lot of patience with them yeah and, and going off of that you know when, when you first started doing those videos you know what was it like did you guys feel like you're doing something on the cutting edge or special or is it you know hey let's just make videos and have fun I honestly, I was just making videos to have fun. A lot of my videos back in the day were just street racing videos of me taking my Camaro out, whether going to the drag strip or just out street racing people. And I would just upload them to YouTube because the street fire thing was gone and I didn't have anywhere else to upload it. So where I could post it on ls1tech.com. So I would just use YouTube to do that. And, you know, shoot, I wish I would have just stuck with it whenever it's hot. I mean, Shoot, I was I was getting like 40, 50,000 views on my videos within 24 hours back in 2010 on YouTube. And shoot, I mean, take that and keep on running with it through, you know, 14, 15, 16. It would have been huge. I, and I just, you know, you just don't know that stuff when you're doing it. And I just got busy starting Streetcar Takeover and thought it was best I didn't uh, kind of quit doing the street racing stuff, being that I was a sanctioned event owner and, I, I just quit doing it and it's uh it's crazy i i think about it all the time i'm like man what what could it have been but you know at the on the flip side of that i'm i'm happy where things went with streetcar takeover and all that stuff as well you know that's a good transition how did the whole streetcar takeover concept thing you know what's the history how did that come about um so back uh in 2012 and 2013 um I started doing this event. It was uh, just like a huge car show, kind of like a cruise night type deal here in Kansas City. And it, I mean, instantly just got big. I mean, I the first one, I had people driving from all over the country just to come out to a car show. And then after that, there was, you know, a bunch of street racing and all that stuff. But it kind of fueled off that. And, uh, you know, I was friends with uh, Kyle at the time, the owner of 1320 Video, and uh, Chase, who's now my business partner, um, I met him at TX2K one year, and they called me up one day, and they're like, hey, Justin, what do you think about doing what you do in Kansas City, but maybe in other cities in the United States, and shoot, at the time, I was like, well, that sounds fun and fun and all, but I got a full-time job. I work 65 hours a week. How the heck am I going to do that? And, uh, you know, they're like, well, just think about it, and you know, let us know. And my boss at the time, um, he's a, he's a drag racer still is today. You know, I kind of ran it by him and he's like, you know, I'd, you know, I think it's cool. I think it's a cool idea. I'll, I'll give you some time off to go do a few events this year. And, uh, so we did. And then we had the idea, you know, maybe add drag racing into the mix. That way we can, uh, you know, film and advertise racing because we can't advertise street racing. So, um, that's when we started doing like the drag strip stuff. And then that turned into, well, we're at the drag strip. We might as well do some classes and make it competitive. So then that turned into, you know, adding classes. And then we had guys just building cars just to come race at our events. And then, yeah, it just turned into four to eight to 10 to 15 to 20 events. <laughs> it's just, it just spiraled out of control really quick. Yeah, that's how I was gonna. That's the exact words I was gonna use. Spiraled out of control. From one minute you think you've got all this figured out, then the next thing you know, you're a class rule writer getting the the nasty grams from people about why their combo should be this, that, and the other. And it, <laughs> it just it, it's it's a fun life to live, right? Yeah, you just gotta stick to your guns. I mean, I, I tell I tell promoters that all the time. It's like you're not gonna please everybody. You know, once you get 
once you get that in your head that you're not going to please everybody, um, you know, just stick with it because you got to stick to your rules and, you know, you're going to piss people off in the process, but at the same time, you're going to make a lot more people happier by sticking to your guns and, you know, standing up for your rules and everything else. You know, I can 100, I'll put my own take on that as well. You know, I've been involved in different, you know, racing series, crewed for cars, been all over the place. And we tried to do some stuff at our local track rentals, you know, some true street stuff and spin it off in different ways. And I remember when I started trying to come up and I put the rules out there instantly, people are just clawing at me. Just, just, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And I just flat told him, I said, (laughs) you can't, you know, you can't be a puppy kicker and you know, you're not going to be the fastest person all the time. So you either got to improve your program or you're not going to be able to to go as fast as you want to go, or you're going to get your head bounced in. That's just, you know, I can't make a class for everybody and have, two cars in every class and people don't like that but it overall it makes it better for everybody and it it, if you're a uh if you're a person that you a people pleaser person being a rules person or a promoter is not the line of work for you no it's not and and uh you know we we kind of found a happy median with that you know we we obviously like our racers to you know, want to come to our events and they, you know, I like them that they like us and they can trust us and everything else. But, you know, you just gotta, it, it takes a while to find that too. It's not just something that happens. And, you know, part of that's probably doing 20 events a year. You get to really uh, know the people that you're seeing at your events over and over again. And you kind of, you know, uh, develop relationships with those racers and, and that's important when it comes to racing because, as as you know, racers want to go to a race that they feel welcome to, that they're comfortable with uh, going and spending money and all that stuff. And it takes years to develop those relationships, and and uh, we're very uh, grateful for that stuff. You know, in full transparency, I've not only been to one of your you know the meets at one of your events, I've participated in one of your events, and yeah, yeah. I I can say it's like it is legitimately fun i could have got as many runs as what as i needed you know there was the the rules were spelled out there was an air of confidence that when you ask a question you were going to get an answer there wasn't going to be any wishy-washiness because you hear these horror stories that some people go to these events and they change the rules like during the driver's meeting because someone complained yeah and i hear that i'm like oh that's like that's the death sentence right there for an event that is just the worst thing you can do ever as a promoter it, it is. And I mean, I, 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 I'd be lying to you if I can't say that, you know, there's been situations where we've done that over the years, but that's kind of a, a, a an issue that you have. It's growing pains. It's, you know, you have one race in Washington state and then another race in Florida will shoot. The cars are completely different in Washington than they are in Florida. So you got to come back to that thing I was telling a while ago is you got to find that happy median that you can have a national level series and not have to change the rules every single event. Um, and it's, it's a lot of the, a lot of the slower classes really that we have issues with, you know, the, the truck classes, you know, we get some guys that show up at some events with, you know, full on race trucks, but they fit the rules. And then you get a guy that shows up that was at our event, you know, the month before in a street truck that won. And then, he shows up to a whole different state and well, there's a lot more heavy hitter trucks there. And you know, he's griping because, Oh man, that's not a street truck. That's not a street truck. Well, you know, in some States that is a street truck, you know, it's, it's just, it's tough, but you know, you just stick with your guns and that's why we have so many classes. It's like, well, you know, maybe you don't fit in this class, this event. So go and jump in a, go jump in an index class or something. And, and, you know, you can still win some good money in there and compete. We just, we try to emphasize having fun, you know, over anything, you know, if you're not having fun, it's just not worth it in my opinion. So these people got to come out and have fun and enjoy their cars and trucks or whatever they're bringing out. Yeah. And it, it makes it wild because like you said, it's trying to build a car to go class racing is something that a lot of people think is, Oh, you just throw some money at. Yeah. Well, one, it does take money, but two, Building a car that fits just one specific rule set 
is not the best yeah. idea because you're one pen it's stroke. You're one pen yeah. stroke away from not having a place to race at at all. Absolutely, and and I I tell guys that all the time that are building cars because we Chase and I just know so many people just through the car scene and stuff, and we overhear a bunch of stuff, and it's like we always tell people build the car that can go race at multiple events. I mean, if if you can change something real quick to make it fit to make it fit that class do that but never ever build a car for a specific class unless you're doing you know like you know like carter and mickey you know even they're kind of you know branching off they're wanting to run the the pro 275 and not so much the radio verse world anymore uh you know jason i talk all the time he lives here in kansas city and you know that was one of the things he's like we're tired of racing just one class be able to go out and race multiple classes so they set up the car for it and they're having a blast oh yeah that's the guy i crew for ray Litz. that's what we had the car set up where we could run at one point x275 we could run street outlaw with the nmca and we could even run like outlaw limited street at a local event by putting slicks on you know just taking weight yeah. in and out and it's not yep. a matter of were we an absolute trained killer in all those classes no but we were yep. competitive in enough yeah. where if you, you if you know how to race and you can go rounds, that's sometimes people – I think a lot of people don't realize that you don't have to be the home run hitter every round. Just being able to get consistently down the track and heads up racing is what's going to win you more rounds. That's 100% right. We, we have people all the time that come to our events. So I'm, not, I'm definitely not the fastest guy in the class. And a lot of times I end up giving them money at the end of the night because they made it all the way through because they're cutting good lights. They got a consistent car. It, you know, it 60 footed great every single time. And I mean, that is more important than going fast. I mean, in my personal opinion, it's, it's, uh, I see it all the time. I mean, we do so many of these events, you just kind of start noticing things, you know? It's a lot like the way I think of it is it's a lot like when you're building a fuel system for a car. You want to give yourself a little bit of headroom where you're not on the absolute ragged edge. And if something goes sure. wrong, you're screwed where you have to constantly be running on the absolute on kill all the time because you never know when track conditions are going to change. There's going to be an issue. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're getting beat by a, a, a 17 seed car. Yep. Yep. I, it's, it's crazy how racing works. It, the way I tell people all the time, just go out there, have fun. And, and honestly, it, like it, like I was saying, well, if you're not having fun, it's just not worth it. You know, and it, it gets to the point where it can be more of a trying to win a deal and that's great and everything, but you got to be having fun while you're doing it too. You know, running one of these deals is not easy for sure. And what keeps bringing you back to every year going, all right, let's, let's do it all over again. You know, what makes you want to keep doing the streetcar takeover? Uh, well, I mean, the simple answer is I, I freak, I love this stuff. Like, uh, I, I'm a racer myself. Uh, when I go to these events, you know, obviously, yes, I, I'm working. Sometimes I'm stressed out or we're busy or whatnot, but at the same time, I'm having fun too. I, I like seeing all the cars. I like seeing all my friends. I like seeing people out there winning money, having fun. Um, I love it, man. I, I can't, I can't tell you how much I love it because it's just, it's, it's insane. And Chase is the same way. I mean, we're just two car guys, just like everybody else out there. And uh, I think that's honestly why our event works is because not only do we put on the event, we are also heavily involved, whether we're racing our own stuff, we know what racers want because we are racers. Uh, and, and we're young. We, we know what the young generation wants. We know what the older generation, cause I mean, I'm old. Oh, I'm not that old, but I'm 33. So I got a lot of older friends and stuff, but it's just, uh, I think that's a lot of it, man. Our, our passion, it, it reflects in our events. Side note, you're not old unless you can remember when MTV used to play music all the time. Just saying. Oh, I, I remember. I used to oh. watch it all day. Especially uh, during the summer. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you remember when? Like, I always tell people, I said, I'm so old. I remember when MTV used to actually have music shows, like MTV Raps and Metal Hang, you know, Metal Heads Ball and stuff like that. Oh but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another story for another time. This is a blast from the past. Me and my, me and the guys here at the shop were just talking about this the other day. Remember that show where they would play music videos and you could call in and pay to play a video? Do you remember that channel? Oh, that was, man. 
it was probably back in like the mid nineties, late nineties, but there was a show. It was kind of like MTV, but it was on cable and all they did all day was play music videos. And it had like a, had like a running, like almost message for them on the side of the screen. It was, it was crazy. And it was only, it only lasted like two years, but I remember that we were, we can't think of the name of it though. We were talking about the other day. That'll drive you insane on Google searches trying to find that now. <laughs> Google's probably like, uh, yeah, I don't know nothing about that. That was too long ago. Yeah. <laughs> Google's like, what? Yeah, huh? <laughs> 404, what the hell, man? Yeah. And I think kind of going off your point there, and, you know, I, I can definitely, I, I feel you on, you know, wanting to do it and loving to do it. And what it is, it comes down to a lifestyle. You To gr- not be a flash in the pain, you have to accept the grind and accept this as a, life, as a lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, man, it's, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. It's crazy how stuff just blows by. Now, you know, with the streetcar takeover deal, have you, do you ever think about completely reimagining it or do you have the the secret formula now that you guys are going to stick with and just keep, uh, smoothing it out? Um, you know, it's, it's one of those deals. I mean, you always have to keep changing stuff. Otherwise people get bored with it. Um, you know, we, we change up classes, uh, you know, sometimes like this year we changed up some of the classes, we get racer feedback all the time and we listen, uh, you know, a lot of people were complaining, you know, the street racer class, the heads up class getting too fast. You know, I'm, I'm a nine second car and I'm trying to race a seven sixty car and we, we get it. I mean, we absolutely get it. So this year, you know, we, kind of broke the class up into two different categories we do one round of qualifying and then split the classes up with how the cars qualify um so that was one thing we changed and you know some of the cities we don't have a big roll racing turnout and so there's four or five hours of just wasted day that we have 45 roll racers just basically hot lapping and the drag racers are just sitting all day waiting to run and so a couple cities, we've just axed the roll racing completely and it gives us more time for the drag racers and they seem to like it. And we're just, you know, starting to fine tune a lot of things now. Yeah. And that, I think that's the, the big thing is racer feedback because racers, when you get down to it, we're big, dumb animals. We like what I like. I call the three P's. We want, yeah. you know, payout, prep and program. If you can do those three things, drag racers will race anywhere yeah you know they want a program that's somewhat you know sane and stable you pay them the money you promise and you have the track where it's not complete mess and they Mm -hmm. won't they they the majority of the good racers and normal people won't complain you always get some people are going to complain no matter what you do because they'll want a gold lined you know burnout box but everything else will work itself out yeah yeah we uh that was one thing we did this year was we we made sure we got you know, the consistent track prep at every event. We've actually um, hired Jimmy Bradshaw with the Sticky Track Mafia. Um, he's been coming out to almost every single one of our events so far this year and uh, will continue to do so, and it's great because the racers love it. Uh, it's good to know when you're showing up to an event, like you know what the track prep's going to be. You know, if, if Jimmy's prepping, it's going to be the best it can possibly be. And uh, that's important. I mean, that that was one of the main things we focused on this year. And of course, you know, there's more, a lot more expense than that, but at the same time, I mean, our events are getting bigger. You know, we, we have a good spectator count at every event. I mean, it's, it's stuff like that, that we're, we're willing to spend the money on and, and the racers definitely appreciate it. What's something that's kind of, as you've been putting these events on and doing them, what's something that's kind of surprised you where, you, you know, you, something's happened or something you learned that you really didn't expect to come from, you know, uh, putting on races and events like this? Um, you know, it's, I don't know, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, my, my biggest surprise, I guess, is, I don't know if it's really a surprise. It's just a lot of people just don't understand that, like, the work that chase and I put into this stuff, like they think that we just make these events and poof, they're, they're there. Like, it's definitely not like that at all. Um, it's surprising how many people don't understand that, I guess you could say. Um, another big surprise is, um, some of these racers that we get at our events, how they know about our event for one. And then two, just 
they come from all corners of the United States to our race. And like, you know, Chase and I will, will be sitting there. We're the first ones there before the race. And, and we're just kind of watching just cars come in. And I, I think it was Atlanta last year, our Atlanta event, for some reason, it was kind of a mediocre event. As a matter of fact, it almost got axed because we just didn't have really good turnouts there. And then I think it was two years ago, like it was like the floodgates opened at that event. I have no idea what happened. I have no idea how it got so big, but this last year I'm like, all right, we'll find out if 2018 was a fluke because, you know, we'll see what shows up this time. And same deal. I mean, it was just huge. And, you know, you got people rolling in and Chase and I are just up in the tower, just like, man, all these racers are coming here to race at our event. I mean, that is crazy to think about. It's got to be a good feeling though, to see you've been able to actually, you know, the tangible evidence that you built something like this and it's working. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's working just because, I mean, we, we try to try to be honest with everyone. We try to be, um, you know, upfront about everything. When you come to our events, these are going to be the payouts. It's not going to be, Oh, well, you know, we didn't get a lot of spectators or this and that. So the payout got lower. No, that's not the way it is. Sometimes, if we have a big crowd turnout and we didn't expect it, we'll actually start paying out more to the racers just because we appreciate them coming out. We made, we made money. So we try to transfer that over to the racers because without those guys, we wouldn't have it. So we always try to treat the racers well. And that right there is the people need to rewind this section of the podcast right here and listen to that over and over again when it comes yeah. to how, promoters should behave because you hear again you'll you'll hear horror stories about shady stuff that promoters doing it it still it blows my mind to this day that people try to pull those tactics oh it's it's crazy we hear about it too i mean you know obviously we have relationships with all these different tracks that we go to and we hear it from them i mean they they tell us this stuff and you know whenever we call a track that we've never been to before you know they're they're kind of leery unless you know another track you know gave us a good word or something. And I tell them, I completely understand why you're, you know, kind of hesitant on doing this because I would be too. It's my track. It's my baby. I wouldn't want someone coming in here and making me look bad. Um, but I'm happy to say every single track that we've been to, I mean, everyone loves us. The staff loves us. I mean, we're just real easy guys to work with. Well, yeah. And you know, a, a shady promoter, people ought to, they don't understand that it's not the track for stuff like this it's the promoter and it will give the track a bad name and they they don't want any part of that yeah yeah it, it happens more than more than you think well i'm sure you probably do know but it happens a lot and it's crazy in this day and age of social media and the internet and everything that people think that they can still get away with it oh. it's it's nuts it how, really is how often do we see the torches lit on facebook and people hunting for heads there was yeah there's that dude what was it two years ago that had that event in memphis that's and, what i i was just getting ready to bring that one up yes that that was nuts i could not believe that like of all the people to not pay and yeah. Those people to not pay the guys. I can't even remember the dude's name. That's not what it's not important. And the, yeah, in the track, you know, the track people were going after the track. And I remember, you know, people were coming to the defense of Memphis, be like, hey, this wasn't their deal. And the track's like, we didn't know this dude wasn't paying. We were just trying to keep this going. And you see more of these racers were coming out about it. And it's not people that normally racers that would throw someone under the bus, let alone on social media. I'm like, <laughs> this is bad. So I, I got a I got a story for you of a bad track that we dealt with, and I'm not going to say who the track is. It's not important. It it happened a few years ago, but this this is how dedicated Chase and I are, and how good we want to keep our name. So we we did an event, and it wasn't our event. We actually did it for someone else. They contacted us and they said, "Hey, can you uh, promote this event?" Uh, through you and 1320 and and uh, you know we'll pay all the payouts and and uh, it's just got to be done at our facility and stuff and Chase and I of course you know we're like yeah you know we'll we'll do it it's no problem uh, gave them a set price of what we wanted and it was pretty cheap I mean honestly because it wasn't too far from us and uh, you know that they, they were paying for you know our hotels and everything we just had to do all that well we did the race and uh, after the race was over we uh 
you know, the Raiders up to us for the payouts. And I mean, they were a big payouts. It was like $55,000 in payouts. Ooh. And, uh, so, you know, some, some big names were there. I mean, uh, Larry Larson was one of them. And, uh, <laughs> so they start coming up to us for, for payout money. And of course, you know, we're getting it. And then we get down, we start getting down to like the last few people, which were some of the slower classes. They were like, you know, five, $6,000 payouts. Well, the track, we went up to the office and the track was like, well, we got a problem. And I'm like, well, what's that? And they're like, well, we don't have the money to finish these payouts. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so what's that mean? They're like, well, we're just going to have to tell the racers that we don't have the money. I'm like, well, we're not doing that. Chase and I looked at each other. We're like, we're, they're not leaving without money. So Chase and I literally wrote checks or got cash out of our personal accounts and our own cash at that we had the event for change. And we paid all these racers before they left. And, uh, still to this day, we have never gotten paid a dime or anything from that event. Oh, so we basically paid $10,000 to go up and do an event for a weekend. <laughs> the math is off, but the intent is pure. And that's awesome yeah. to hear that you guys did that because yeah, you, there, there could have been a lot of different ways that could have went sideways in a different way, but you guys definitely did the right thing there. And that's awesome for sure. Well, and at the same time, we, we did have our name attached to that. And, you know, who, who are the racers going to come after? They're not going to go after the track. They're going to go after us. So it's, it, it was worth it for us to just pay the racers and just kind of wipe our hands with it and be a lesson learned, you know, like, we're not doing that no more. <laughs> yeah. But uh, a lot of people don't know that story. And it's, uh, we didn't even tell the racers that we just, you know, basically were like, you know, the track right now checks, we're just going to pay you with our own type deal. Like we just didn't want any bad blood to come from it. No. And I think that also kind of shows there, you know, even with, you know, with Kyle, and I'm sure with you guys too, what goes into protecting your brand and your name, because there's a lot of people that I've seen this before where, they'll try to throw other people's logo and say racers are going to be there. Or this is backed by so-and-so. And, -so, and yeah. then that can be a problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem. And, and, you know, we deal with it too, you know, with people using streetcar takeover as an event name and we'll be getting our emails and stuff blown up. Like, Oh man, I didn't realize you guys were coming here. You know, where can I sign up? Where can I buy tickets? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then they send me the link and I'm like, Oh, well, <laughs> they're going to have to change the name. So I, you know, I have to call the promoters and, you know, they act like we don't, they all, we never heard of streetcar takeover. It's like, Oh, so you just came up with the name and pretty much copied our logo, but you've never heard of us. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. So we have the, we have the name trademarked and we paid all the money to get all that stuff done last year. So now we have a, a legal foot to stand on when people do that. In in a previous life, I worked in the legal industry and did a lot of stuff with intellectual property, some of the biggest law firms in the world. And I've mm -hmm. tried to tell people over and over again, there is one person you do not want to tangle with is an intellectual property lawyer, especially when they have legal precedent, because unless you have a better lawyer, you're, yeah. you're not going to walk out unscathed. And even then you're still going to be paying somebody money. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy, man. Like you know, it goes back to what people think they can get away with, and you know, it's it's mainly the smaller tracks and stuff that are kind of in the in the woods. But you know, at the at the same time, you know, there might be someone going to that event, and if it's got the same name as ours, they're thinking that's us. What if what if they don't pay out, or what if something happens, they think it's us, and it's more it's more so me protecting my name than more or less than making money off of it. It's, it's, that's what's important to us is protecting our name and our brand. Oh yeah. Because the internet never forgets. It never forgets. Yeah. Yeah. The, for sure. The last sure. thing you want is, uh, you know, people dragging up stuff from God knows when on you. And like, <laughs> I, I've seen that happen time and time again. And it, it, again, it just, it never ceases to amaze me how many people, and for some reason you see a lot in the racing world where they just, they have to be, you know, a savage on the internet. And that just, that's not always the, it, it's not the best tactic. And sometimes it's not the best way, you know, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. It can get you a lot of trouble in a hurry. It's the most unprofessional, professional industry there is. I always say that. <laughs> and it, and it, it, it's true. It really is. I mean, it's, uh, man, people are just savages out there. And it's, 
you know, sometimes, sometimes you just got to be a savage back. And, and the last couple of years, uh, it, I've kind of done that a couple of times. It's like, you know, I'm not just going to sit here and get told on the internet because I'm, they think I'm going to be politically correct whenever I respond. That's just not the way it works. Like you just got to stand with, for what you know and what you believe in. And that's just the way it is. If you don't like it tough, go somewhere else, but you know, <laughs> you just gotta, you gotta have a leg to stand on. You know, you can't let someone cut both your legs out from underneath you and keep on going. There's nothing better than seeing a professional dressing down on the internet for me. Like just someone that is, calculatedly and just like a surgeon just totally gut someone when they're being an idiot to me that's like the ultimate form of you just got served yeah yeah absolutely and, and some sometimes it's sometimes it's very much so appropriate to do that and then you know obviously there's cases where it's not <laughs> you just gotta you gotta watch what you do you know you know kind of shifting gears a little bit here too is uh you've had some interesting vehicles over the years mm -hmm. what has been the one that is your absolute all-time favorite whether you still own it or it's you know gone to a better place or a new owner? um you know the last the last like five years i would say I, i've i'm like almost addicted to like late model gm dodge vehicles um honestly i i just had i sold my c7 last week and i've had it since 2014 and I built it up over the years and it wasn't for sale. And, you know, I was really looking forward to getting that thing in the sevens and the quarter mile. It's a perfectly good street car. I could drive it wherever. And, uh, you know, it, it was just one of those deals. I kind of just kind of got bored with it and, uh, was ready to move on to something new. I love the new, uh, the Hellcat platforms. I mean, they're not the, the fastest thing, you know, it's hard to get them in the eights, but for a mid nine second car, Oh, they're kind of hard to beat them. I mean, you don't have to do a lot to them, and they run good. And then the new, uh, the new ZL1 Camaros are just amazing cars. It's, I mean, it's it's really hard to just choose one of them because I mean they're all so good now. I mean, they the manufacturers are just really stepping it up. We're spoiled with this new age of like horsepower that's available. Like, the, yeah, it's it's unreal what you can go to the dealership and buy. You can go buy a Jeep and do a few things to it and run nines in the quarter mile in a Jeep Grand Cherokee now. <laughs> yeah. Our, CE, our CEO has a track hawk and had like yeah. nothing done to it and it went 11s. I'm like, yeah, I got, I got one and it runs bottom tens with barely even breaking a sweat. I mean, it just, they're, it's insane. And you don't have to upgrade a lot of stuff. Like, you know, you used to buy a O2F body. Well, the first time you took it to the drag strip, you broke the 10 bolt rear end with a set of slicks on it and, Shoot, now these cars are running low nines with the stock transmission, stock rear end, sometimes stock drive shafts and stock motors. It's it's crazy. I mean, it's it's awesome at the same time, but it's absolutely crazy too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting. You know, I'm old school to the core, and you know, the what guys used to have to do with old school muscle cars to go fast, like very very mm -hmm. smart guys cylinder head development just all the tricks that they would do yeah fast flush running super high compression and race gas all the time shoot now it's like that's like a thing of the past with this new stuff my dad was blown away that my 2000 trans am went 1090 with a 150 shot of nitrous and just yeah. basic upgrades and yeah it's like you drove that to the track i'm like yeah drove <laughs> the track put the, put the track radios on it and put the pills in it, turn the bottle on and here we are. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, in my opinion, the LS platform is what kind of changed the game. It made every other manufacturer kind of step up. Yeah. Um, well, to back it up a step, the 50 Mustang. Yeah, that's true. That, that's true. That kind of like we'll say that that dug the foundation and kind of it filled did. in a few bricks. And then the LS1 and everything after that now and the, all the platforms has changed everything. You know, the coyotes, yeah. the Hemi stuff. It's, it's unbelievable what you can do. It's, I mean, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And the, and the aftermarket just has a heyday with it. I, I know pro charters done a really good job with just, you know, vehicle specific kits, uh, you know, uh, all the turbo companies and the Whipple and 
all those companies, they make all these kits where you order them and it comes with everything that goes on these cars. So that way someone can just easily do it in their garage in a weekend. That's to me is what's really changed it too. It's just aftermarket availability, vehicle specific, you know, parts and everything else. That's really, in my opinion, made it a lot better too. Well, I think it's just, it's completely changed the paradigm of drag racing and specifically street car, like fast street car racing. That's, you know, something I wanted to bring up is the street car takeover, in my opinion, has proven and brought to the front what an entire, you guys created a genre. You created fast street car, like racing as like a, I hate to say almost as like a thing. And then you see what the NMCA did with, you know, with the, the Dodge thing that they do and the Chevy challenge thing. They don't have something for Ford yet, but I'm sure they could do it. But just you guys kind of made like you carved out a niche and it filled itself in and then it grew. Yeah. Whenever, you know, we talked to, you know, Kyle with 1320 video and, and all these other people that were, you know, luckily to be friends with, they said, you know, why try to be like somebody else? Why not just create your own audience? Cause once you create your own audience, it's game over. Um, in the first couple of years we started, you know, we, we, you know, had some street outlaws out our events and we were promoting our big tire racing and stuff. And I looked at chase one day and I was like, you know what, this just ain't us. Like, let's just stick to what we do. And that's street cars. I was like, because that's what we are. And I was like, you know, if people don't like it, then there's plenty of other events they can go to, but let's focus on what we know and, and what, how we could be different. And that's when we really just focused on just doing streetcar stuff. And it's kind of, we kind of just found our own niche and kind of create our own audience and brand with it. The only thing that is comparable that I've been to is like an import face-off event. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. We're, we're like the domestic version. It's, it's crazy too. Cause we, you know, we obviously like those guys. I mean, we, we, uh, chase talks to them all the time. It's kind of like crazy how the same they are and how different they are. Like it's mainly imports obviously, but they're more of a show yeah, in uh, the pits, hang out, have a great time. And then, you know, there's some cars racing down the track. Obviously they got a couple classes, but we're more of the, we like racing, not so much the car show stuff in the pits and we're mainly just domestic. Uh, but you're right. It is a lot of the same crowd that comes to both events. Um, it's, it's really cool. I mean, uh, import face off is awesome. I used to go to those shoot when I was younger and it was cool looking up. Like whenever we start our event, we're like, Oh man, like I want to be like import face off one day. Like they do events all over and then here we are. <laughs> yeah. And I've been to a couple of other events and raced in some of the stuff. And again, it's, it's a completely, it's hard to describe. It's like my wife calls it race wars, which is, you know, funny because yeah, she's... well, it's, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. It's Import more... face off is a lifestyle. Yeah, it's more of a lifestyle thing, which is cool because yeah. that's what that scene is. Yep. And whereas street car takeover is more of like the hardcore racing lifestyle. It you is. Know, that's yep. that, that is the difference. And that's what makes, I think both events work because it caters to the the core strong audience and Mm -hmm. you see cool stuff at both of those events like i like anything loud fast and dangerous that's why going to the world cup is one i mentioned i think on every show i talk with a guest about this jason miller needs to to get on board i either get him on a guest or he needs to cut me in on Mm -hmm. you know some some advertising money here but that event is one of those ones you go to where it's like both of those cultures have molded together yeah nope you're you're exactly right and uh you know like i tell people all the time you know just you know stick with what you know and and what you think is going to work because once you kind of start steering away from that that's kind of when you start losing touch with what you're trying to do yeah you know changing gears again a little bit you know you're in the you guys do a have a shop now right too right yeah yeah actually i'm i'm standing here right now uh we started it about a year ago to the day and uh it's just blown up i mean it's absolutely nuts i'm actually looking for my third tech now (laughs) it's a good problem to have right it is it is yeah and and we were worried when the pandemic stuff started that we were going to be slow and you know my deal is i'm not worried about the the shop per se i'm just worried about my techs and you know they got families and you know i'm like i feel responsible for them so you know i got scared about that 
luckily, you know, honestly, I think we were busier through the pandemic than what we normally would have been. And a lot of other people said the same thing. Well, that's what makes it crazy is like from what I've seen in the industry that like there's certain parts of it that struggled because they relied on racing to make money. They relied on racing carnage to keep going. But then yep. the places where you were doing installations or they're selling parts, they were doing fine, if not better, because the racers were like, well, you know, I didn't get to go to these events. I already have this money budgeted for racing. Yeah. Well, hell, let's buy a transmission. You know, let's do this. Yeah, it, it was something. I don't know what it was, but something definitely sparked people to start spending money on their cars because there for a while it was hard for us to get parts because they were so busy and selling out of so much stuff from a lot of our distributors and they were the same thing they're like we're up 150 percent this month and it's just crazy now do you guys do you you know you got rid of the corvette you know do you have something new you're going to cook up with a shop that we're going to see at the streetcar takeover you know what, what do you got your eye on next um, I got a couple, uh, Camaros, um, um, sorry, I had a guy dropping off some stuff here at the shop. No um, I, I got a couple, uh, Camaros that I've had, uh, for a little while. Uh, they're 2019s and I thought about maybe building one of those up. Basically, I got a bunch of parts coming, but I just don't know what I'm going to put them all in yet. Uh, but I'm thinking probably a six gen Camaro is what I'm going to go to next. Nice. It's always it's always that fun feeling to know you've got all kinds of goodies coming and what you can do yeah, with it. No, that's the best part about a build right there. It, you get a lot of guys, I think, that they're addicted to the build. They don't keep the car. They just like the process of the build. Then they build. They're like, all right, I'm done with this, and they move on. Yeah, and that, that's honestly kind of where I'm at with a lot of things. Once I kind of build the car, I'm like, well, what do I do now? Now I, I'm not looking forward to really anything other than just going on the track. Let's start with something new. and. It's uh, it's not not what I recommend everybody to do because it it costs you a lot of money. But it's just uh, one thing about having the shop here. I get to watch a lot of other people build their cars, and I get to do builds with their money per se because I'm you know buying all the parts for their cars and watching my guys build them. So that's kind of fulfilled my uh, deal with uh, watching get built. So it's kind of made me calm down on my own stuff, but. It's uh, it's fun having the shop, man. It's it's a lot of, a lot of fun. Well, you know, Mickey Tessner talked. I t- talked to him about this. That you know, he had that badass Green Nova, and he sold it. And he said, honestly, I'm not a racer. I'm a builder. He goes, yeah, it was fun going fast, but he goes, it's not what, enti- it's not what got me going. He goes, it was the, you know, solving the riddle of building a car is what got him going. So he's exactly like they'll get something built maybe he'll race it maybe he'll you know he just he wants to constantly be creating yeah yeah there's nothing wrong with that it's just like i said it gets expensive <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's funny you know you never get out of them what you put into them and you know a lot of people don't realize just you know unless they've built a car themselves how much money you know you buy all the big parts but it's like all the little stuff that you just don't even think about until you're there that really add up <laughs> Yeah, you can have two thousand dollars in fuel fittings and lines on one car. That's what I was about to say. Anybody that's built a fuel system just felt those feels. Yes, yes, and and that's the one part of the car that I tell customers on all the time: don't skimp on the fuel system. It's the most important thing on the car, really. I mean, especially these late model stuff. Yeah, you you got to keep them fed. If you don't keep them fed, they aren't yeah. going to be happy, and bad stuff happens in a hurry. It does in a real hurry. There's, there's nothing more terrifying or interesting to see. You know, nitrous cars are a great example of this when they start mixing up cylinders and start releasing magic smoke and fire. It's not good. <laughs> yep. And, and coyotes don't run eights with just a turbo kit. That's not true. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ax that out right now from all your listeners. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's nothing like, does. Nothing runs eights with just a turbo kit. <laughs> no. No, it's, you know, just because there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more to it on these cars, especially if you want to keep on doing it and not just make one pass and blow up. My, the partner on my car, it helps me a lot. Scott Cordell was over last night, dropping off an engine. We were talking about this and he says, he said, I hate the phrase stock bottom end. He goes, I hate it. 
He goes, <laughs> it's, he goes, it's the biggest misnomer on earth to start talking about that because he said, if you're trying to make big horsepower with, you know, a stock bottom end rotating assembly, he goes, you've just pulled the pin on the grenade. It's a matter of when it's going to blow up. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, that we, we've come to find out, you know, where the weak links are in just about every platform there is. And, you know, it seems to be about 900 horse. And, you know, that's about, if you start going more than that, it's, it's a ticking time bomb. Uh, the coyotes I, you know, I would say they're, you know, about 800 wheel horsepower on the, on the gen twos and gen three coyotes. After that, it's kind of not, if it's going to blow, it's kind of when it's going to blow type deal. Uh, but man, honestly, the strongest one we've dealt with is the LT4 and the the GM cars. I mean, those, those engines, man, they will take a beating. And uh, the Hellcat stuff too. I mean, it, it's be unreal. I really, you know, I'm an LS guy, but I really wanted to do. I, I'd build anything if given the opportunity. And one of the things I, I wanted to do a Gen 3 Hemi build. And I asked Rob Goss, mm-hmm. who's you know one of the fastest guys with Gen 3 Hemi anything, and he was, you know, destroying blocks there for a while before he had his own made. And I wanted to ask him, like, so, Rob, what's the, you know, what's the threshold on these engines before, you know, bad stuff starts happening? And he, like, rattled off this specific number. Like, he was 825.3 horsepower, and this, this, and this starts happening. And I was like, sounds like you found that out from experience, just not as it. He goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to put a Hellcat motor in something so bad right now I just don't know what to put one in. I was like I thought it'd always be cool to buy a Plymouth Prowler, put a Hellcat motor in, it, and then I'm browsing the internet one day and someone's already done it. Yes. <laughs> it's like dang it. But well, yeah, that that'd been a cool one. I was talking with the dudes at Holly about you know their that I was knew that this was coming before everybody else did about their 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 third gen Hemi swap stuff. And they told me what they were going to be making swaps for. And, you know, they already had the Terminator system for it. So I immediately started to drool. I'm like, you know, thinking about some of the stuff you can build. And I, I'm, I'm the person, I'll dream up the most crazy kind of builds. And one of the things that I was looking at was getting like an old, like, big body Mopar and putting one of those, you know, Hellcat kind of a built nasty Hellcat engine where it looks like it's a grandpa's car, but it's just yeah. got some serious rip to it. <laughs> those are the best ones when you're out just driving around and look stock and then you step into it and it does a roll and burn out to a hundred miles an hour. Oh, I mean, imagine people's minds if they'd see you roll up in like an old Chrysler New Yorker with like 275 <laughs> drag radials on it. <laughs> it reminds me that uh, there's a guy here in Kansas city that ran drag week, like probably eight or nine years ago. And he had that old big boat. Remember that car? Uh, I forget his name. He's a neighbor of a friend of mine here in Kansas City. But it was like an old, old, just boat-looking car, and it went like 1080s in the quarter on Drag Week. Yeah, there was the dude that also did something similar with a, uh, I was like a Ford LTD, and it just looked like it. Yeah, it looked like it walked straight out of the 70s. And we did an article with it because of the air motive fuel system, and it just looked like, oh, you know, look at that sweet car with the plush interior, and then it runs a nine. Well, yeah, Skinny, uh, Skinny's, he goes by the name Skinny's. He, he lives here in Kansas City. He had that LTD four-door uh, probably about 10 years ago, and it had the wheelchair on the back. Yeah. And uh, and it basically doubled as a parachute mount, and uh, it had billet specialty wheels on it, but he, these custom center caps made to where the, the hub cap still went on them, and the car looked completely stock inside. The turbos were hidden. The car run like 940s in the quarter, and it literally looked like grandpa drove it to the track and parked it in the handicap parking spot. I mean, it's <laughs> oh. that stuff right there is so cool to me. Buddy of mine back home had a four door Malibu that was just, this car was evil. It had a 500 cubic inch engine in it, big hit of nitrous. He still had the stock wire hubcaps on the wheels. Yes. And actually, yes. Had, we had to screw those the, into, all the screw we had to screw them in because they would launch off the car i mean this thing was nasty but it's awesome you know uh the uh the track officials kind of weren't exactly happy when he was you know <laughs> ripping off eight second passes with no roll cage at all column shifting it they they didn't see the humor in that yeah no they the the track sometimes uh kind of look at you like you just beat up their mom uh, after you run an eight with no cage in there 
the the best line ever I heard was from a track official that gave someone the riot act in a uh, Corvette. Uh, it was a car. What happened was STS turbo kits in it. Mm-hmm. And the tech guy was like, that's awesome. Don't ever do it again without a roll cage. <laughs> <laughs> was it, was it Brandon Carter? No, 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 it wasn't Brandon Carter, but <laughs> this car was, was some local dude. I don't know who the hell it was, but I mean, that car was just ridiculous. See, I remember Brandon a couple of years ago at our events. He had that big single rear mounted turbo C6 Corvette. I think the thing went like high sevens or so. And uh, he came back up to me. He's like, hey, he goes, uh, the, will, will you let me run a little bit more? You know, the track told me I couldn't run no more. And I'm just like, well, why would they do that? He's like, well, I ain't got no cage. I'm like, you ain't, I was like, you ain't got no cage in that car. He's like, no, he's like, I'm, I'm going to get it done. I just haven't had time yet. I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of one of those deals, Brandon. I mean, if the track says no, then I kind of got to follow suit, but he ended up putting a cage in that car. Thank goodness. Cause I like watching that car go down the track. You know, like, a low 10 second pass maybe you can kind of turn a blind eye three you know three I, seconds I faster have, no yeah i have a, a a personal way i feel about the whole cages and car things in my opinion if if the car is a newer car and it's got everything still in it and it's running you know say mid nines or slower i think to me that that's okay uh, because I mean, shoot, let's face it. These cars are so freaking safe nowadays, especially these newer cars. They got 20 airbags in them. They got, you know, freaking crash resistant, uh, cockpits and just everything else. And, and, you know, NHRA has definitely listened to Chase and I over the, over the last four years about rules and they've changed some of them. Um, you know, now you can run 10 O and, and slower, with no cage on any, you know, most of these newer cars that are out nowadays, but it, uh, it's stuff like that. And, you know, Bandamere is another one of the tracks that, you know, they've really tried to let, you know, their street crowd come out because at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're either going to go out on the highway and race and, you know, possibly put a bunch of other people in danger. Why not just give them a spot to race at a track with, you know, good safety crew, you know, all kinds of other safety precautions in case something bad does happen. And that's the way we look at it. Yeah. There's definitely a threshold where it gets a little there bit is. sketchy. But Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you got to draw a line somewhere. Like I've just seen some dudes do some stuff in cars where I'm like, you know, you just want 150 miles an hour in a 1980s car with a unibody under it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Is Those not- are the ones I don't feel so bad for when I tell them they can't run. Like you do realize if something bad happens here, it's yeah. not, th- this is not going to end in your favor, my friend. Yeah. And that's the thing with racers. They, they never think that, that anything bad is going to happen to them until it does. And then, you know, you don't want it to be, you know, well, it's too late type deal. You, you, you gotta definitely have a, a threshold where we go back to where we first start talking about is you got to stick to your guns and you got to, you know, lay your foot down, you know, you got can't let some guy, gripe that yeah well i drove 18 hours and now i can't run because i don't have a cage well it's like well you know the rules like you you obviously raced before you know that when you drove 18 hours to run an eight with no cage that you took a risk yeah uh it's not on us man that's not on us so and i've had that conversation a lot with racers yeah it's dealing with racers we just we're our own worst enemies and it sometimes it's just like you even though you're you're wrong, you don't want to be, and it can be it can be hard to explain that to some people. Yeah, and you know it it sucks that I have to you know use you know people like Jeff Hageman as an example of what can happen you know when you know the safety equipment or something just isn't all there, and you know but I do come you know I I use that story a lot. It's like you know Jeff he he ran a lot at our races, and he would be the guy that would drive to texas one week and then he'd be at the event in charlotte the next weekend and it's uh you know watching him race and stuff it's like man that guy he, he he'll be fine you know we, we've let him run before with you know no cage and or you know just a six point and something and we're like ah you know it's just jeff that's just the way he is but then you know something like that happens and it's like man you know we we've been guilty of letting him run with you know, maybe not a lot of safety equipment like he should have, but we just thought, well, it's Jeff, you know, that's what he does every weekend. And it's, it sucks. Cause it can happen to any of us, any of us at any time. Yeah. It's, it's 
people don't understand with fast cars, like by the time something is happening and you react, you're already three steps behind oh, yeah. where you want to be. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you're, it's too late. It's done. And it sucks because a lot of people that, you know, have been in those situations or have wrecked and lived, you know, they're, they're the ones that are preaching it like, Hey, you know, you need to do this. You need to do that and not take it so lightly. I mean, it's your life on the line. That's what we tell people all the time. It's like, we want you to go home to your families. You know, we, we, we don't want to see you wreck at our event. We don't want to see you get injured. It's not, not that we, it should be something that you should be a grown up enough to know when something isn't safe. And what's crazy is when you see some of these guys that run in like pro mod that have, you know, been as fat, you know, with guys that have run as fast as what they have in these cars. And they're like, you know what? I think, uh, don't think I'm going to do that again. That, that was a lot of fun to set that record, but that's kind of terrifying <laughs> going that fast. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've had some of our small tire racers, uh, run street racer class. Uh, Derek Kelly's one of them. And he's like, boy, he goes that, that, uh, last half of the track, he goes 200 mile an hour. He's like, I don't really like that too much. He goes, I might stick to just eight mile racing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, yeah, but in, until you stop winning $3,000 on top of your small tire winnings, I don't see that stopping you anytime soon, <laughs> but it's, it's crazy how much difference racing eighth mile versus quarter mile. I mean, it's a lot scarier going 200 than say 160. That last half the track is when the car starts making funny noises you've never heard it make. Yep, and vibrations and getting on the brakes and everything else. Things start moving in ways you're not used to it moving, and you know, yep. you're like, yeah, you're taking a, a 30 year old Fox body to 200 miles an hour. Yeah, it's uh, it can get pretty sketchy. Yeah, Ken Cartucci, when he was trying, we set the radio record up at the uh, World Cup. He said, "I'm going to take this in small, small doses to get this figured out," because he said it's. <laughs> Because I am not ready for what's going to happen. He said, at about 1,000 feet, he said, that's when shit got real. He said, that, yeah. that's when you're like, wow, this thing's moving. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's it's definitely something you, you can't, at the same time, you can't be scared of the car. But you have to know when, you know, if, if you think it's, if you're not comfortable with it, you don't need to be in that car. You need to be fully comfortable with that, what that car is doing. You got to have a healthy respect, not fear. Because that yeah. way you don't make a bad decision. Exactly, because that's what people do, and I see it all the time, man. These guys, they'll they'll come out one season with a you know a, a low nine second car, and then they'll come out the next year with you know a two thousand horsepower Mustang, and I sometimes I'm scared because I, I watch them go down the track and I watch them not pull the chute or do something that, you know, I know that they don't mean to do. It's just, they're not used to it, but you can't just go jump in a car like that without, you know, slowly, gradually getting to that point. Um, it's kind of like guys with these boats, you know, I see it all the time here at the Lake of the Ozarks. You'll, you'll have some guy with a lot of money and he wants a fast boat and he'll go out and buy a, you know, 140 mile an hour boat and they don't know how to drive them. <laughs> it's, it's crazy to me. And what people don't understand, 140 miles an hour on the water versus 140 oh, on land is a yeah. different universe. I mean, you hit that water, it's going to be like hitting concrete. I mean, it's not fun. It's, yeah, it's not fun at all. And every year, man, we, we hear, you know, someone passing away or someone in a boating accident down at the Lake of the Ozarks because of stuff like that. And it happens in racing, too. The, the best I always try to tell people when they ask, you know, you get in this line of question about their building a faster car. I said, listen, the best way I can describe it was the first time that we really turned my car up on nitrous. And the mm -hmm. first time it really got a hold of the track. I was like, there's a big difference, you know, when you're going from a 12 second car to a 10 second car, that's not even fully getting a hold of the track. I'm like, it, you know, it doesn't seem no, yeah. like you don't seem like it's a big difference, but that thing is angry and it, it changes things quickly. My, my first butt tucker moment was LSX shootout 2009 St. Louis. I just put nitrous on my fortune Camaro first hit. The thing goes straight up in the air, almost 12 o'clock. And I had no idea what to do. So I just let out, Crunch. went around, came back around and Blake, the owner of 417 motorsports. I told him what I was doing. He's next time you just got to stay into it. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to stay into it. He didn't believe me that the car went up like that. And, uh, that pass, it did the same thing, went straight up, but this time I didn't let out, 
and it went, I had a turbo 400 in the car, went all the way through first gear, dragging the bumper down the track. And I didn't go up into the next gear just because, you know, whenever you're looking straight up in the air, the last thing you want to think of is shifting into the next gear. And uh, it came down. I cracked my block, cracked my oil pan. And uh, that was my first, like, moment where I'm like, all right, this is this is awesome. But at the same time, you got to know what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, ever since then, I've always been like, yeah, I don't care about doing wheelies. I just like keeping on the ground and going straight. <laughs> wheelies are fun for everybody that has to pay for or work on exactly. the car. Exactly. And the photographers. They're fun for photographers. You know, I, I like them to a point, but it also depends on the driver and what yeah. the car is doing. Because... That car gets up on a wheel stand and gets on the bumper. That's fine. But the second it comes off the bumper and gets on that parachute mount, guess what? It's going to go a different direction. It's like a football. Yeah. It's like a football taking a bad bounce, except it's going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, like a punt. Yeah, it's funny. That's a good way to explain it. Yeah. Well, Justin, our time here is coming to an end, and I like to give my guests their opportunity to, uh, you know, channel the channel their inner John Force and talk about their sponsors and where they can be found at, and you know, all that fun stuff. So, uh. I'll turn the uh, the floor over to you so you can uh, tell the great people of the world where uh, where they can learn more about what you guys got going on. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Um, so if anyone wants to follow what we do, uh, Streetcar Takeover at the shop and all that stuff, um, I do have a YouTube channel. Uh, it is uh, Stang Killer Productions. Um, a lot of stuff on there. Um, we also have uh, Streetcar Takeover on Instagram and Facebook. And then uh, I have my own Instagram. It's just Justin Keith underscore SCT. You can follow me. Uh, I got all my cars on there. It's mainly, it's all I use it for. It's just all my car stuff. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's about all I got. Uh, you know, obviously I'm at every single streetcar takeover. So if you guys come out, make sure you stop by, say hi, come find me. I'm usually, usually working in the lanes or doing something productive. Trying to, right? Trying to. Trying to, yeah. Chase is Chase is always just hanging out in the golf cart. So if you ever see one of us in the golf cart, it's normally Chase. <laughs> good to know. Good, good, great way to just gently push him in front of the bus. <laughs> He's used to it. He loves it. Well, Justin, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it for sure, and we'll see you at the track soon. All right. Sounds good. See y'all. Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thanks for Justin for stopping by, and as always, may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright. Until next time, folks.